Hey, we got a special um, guest with us today. Maybe not a guest, um, but Adam and Lindsay Lawson have baby Felicity with us. And so I'm not going to ask you to pick baby Felicity up because I, I think she's sleeping. But would you just welcome, say welcome to baby Felicity? Not too loud. Don't want to wake her up. Hey, I want to start a qu- with a question today, and don't worry, this is not one of those questions that you have to turn and talk to somebody. That's, that's not what we're doing here. This question is for you, and this is a huge question that I want you to ask yourself. What are you living for? What is it that makes you tick? What is it that, that every day of your life you wake up for? What are you living for? One of, one of the things, maybe the, the cool way to say it right now is, what's your Why? What is it that you're living for? Think about that for a second. Today we're going to continue our series, More Like Jesus. And this question is a huge question, as you're going to see in the text, that what we're living for really matters. So what is it? I mean, I want you to be honest with yourself. What is it that you're living for? So we've entered into a new phase in our family, and that is that Charlie, our third son, He's a, he loves football, and he's been in flag football now for several years. We've got kids in sports, but this year we're taking the step to tackle football. Tomahawks tackle football. Fourth grade, Tomahawks tackle football. Now, I, I bring this up because i got to be honest with you. I had no clue what we were getting into with this. This, this is a thing. Like Tomahawk, fourth grade, Tackle football is apparently something that people live for. And, and Charlie made the switch, and we got put on a team text, and I'm telling you, there's like 50 to 100 messages a day on this thing. And people, I mean, it's just like, it's like people are living for fourth grade tackle football. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I love my kids. I love watching them play sports. I, I really love football. But it's fourth grade <laughs> tackle football. We were a little bit afraid because we're going on vacation in, at the beginning of August. We were a little bit afraid that, that Charlie might miss some of his first practices. But no, we've already been practicing for like a month. And we're going to like three a week. I mean, this is a thing. Like people, it's opened my mind to the way, like some people live for this stuff. What is it that you're living for? What is it that every day drives you? It's an important question. We'll come back to it later. But as I said, we're, we're continuing our series more like Jesus. And over the five weeks, last week, this week, and the next three weeks, we're, we're going to be talking about holiness or what we would call in the Church of the Nazarene entire sanctification. So if you didn't know this today, you're in a church that's a part of the Church of the Nazarene. Church of the Nazarene is what we would call a holiness denomination. So there are some denominations that are holiness denominations. There are others that aren't. And listen, let let me be really clear up front. I do not mean in any way to disparage any other denomination. I believe that we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. But I am thankful to be a part of a holiness denomination. A denomination that believes not just that we can be saved and forgiven for our sins, but that we can be transformed into holiness. What a beautiful thing. And that's what we're talking about over these five weeks. And the reason it's five weeks is sometimes we get in in the thought process that, that holiness or sanctification is just about not sinning. That it's just about a, an act or a, a list of behaviors that we don't do. 
And I want you to know that holiness is so much bigger than that. Over five weeks, I want to paint this full picture of what it means to be holy and Christ-like and sanctified by God. So we're in week two, and we're actually, as I said, it's bigger than sin, but today we're going to talk about sin. It's not a super popular topic. In fact, when I, when I study for sermons, there's several ways that I do it. I read God's Word. I study um, commentaries. I read articles. And one of the things I like to do is go find sermons from, from great preachers about the topic. And I got to be honest with you, it was actually pretty hard to find sermons from popular preachers on sin. It's not a popular topic. But listen, this is really good news I've got for you today. And I'm excited to tell you that we can be free of sin. And so last week we talked about that we are being transformed into the image of God. The beginning, so Article 10, we have 16 articles, faith and the church of the Nazarene. And Article 10 is holiness or entire sanctification. And last week we, were, we read the first uh, paragraph of it that said that holiness or entire sanctification is the process by which we are transformed into the image of Christ. Today I want to jump into the second paragraph of it. There's a bunch to it. Today I want to jump into the second and third paragraphs. And so I'll read this. This should be on the screen. You don't have to stand up. We'll do that in a minute. But it says this, we believe that entire sanctification is that act of God subsequent to regeneration by which believers are made free from original sin or depravity and are brought into a state of entire devotion to God and, of whole, and the holy obedience of love made perfect. It is wrought by the baptism with or infilling of the Holy Spirit and comprehends in one experience the cleansing of the heart from sin and the abiding indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, empowering the believer for life and service. Entire sanctification is provided by the blood of Jesus, is wrought instantaneously by grace through faith, preceded by entire consecration, and to this work and state of grace, the Holy Spirit bears witness. How many of you got all that? Anyone want to repeat that to me? <laughs> let, me, let, me let me talk us through this really quick. So, so we believe that there is the, the moment of surrender or the moment of salvation where we receive um, justification and regeneration. That we, There's a moment you come to that we would call salvation where you say, listen, I've sinned, I've fallen short, we'll talk about that here in a minute, and you confess your sins and you ask for forgiveness and you ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. And in that moment, that's the first work of, of grace, we believe in provenient grace, but we, what we would call the first work of salvation of grace or of sanctification is that salvation, that you are forgiven of your sins and you are saved. But we believe that there's a second work See, see let, me, let me talk to you about something. In the beginning, uh, this pretty much all churches, whether you're a holiness church or not, you believe this, that in the beginning when Adam and Eve were in the garden and they chose to go against God's will, we believe that sin and death entered the world through their choice. And so at that point, we were all filled with what would be called original sin or depravity. And each one of us, every person born since then, was filled with a spirit of sinfulness and selfishness. If we were being honest today, and I ask every one of you, every single one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. 
So, so there's the moment of salvation where you ask for forgiveness for your sins and you receive justification and you are saved from your sins. But we believe there's a second work of grace, entire sanctification, where not only are you forgiven for those sins, but you are freed from that original sin, from that depravity, and you don't have to live in that anymore. Praise God. You don't have to live captive to sin any longer. And so there's this second work of grace. We're going to be in Romans chapter 6. We were in 8 last week. We're going backwards to 6. But I want to talk you kind of through the beginning of Romans up to chapter 6. And, and I want to apologize. I don't have a lot of the stuff on the screen because I was just really sick this week uh, to the point that I, all, I, put, I was up at 5 a.m. on Friday morning and put like two things in and went back to bed. And so there's not a ton on here. You'll have to write down notes if you want or you'll have to maybe pull out your phone or if you've got your Bible, that'd be great. You can follow along. Um, but Romans chapter 6 is where we're going to be. But I want, I want to show you through Romans, Paul is writing this letter and he shows us this path of salvation, transformation, sanctification. So here we go, Romans chapter 1 and 2 basically says that we've all sinned, we've all blown it. And then in chapter 3, verse 23, it says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us have blown it. But then it says, but all are justified freely by his grace through faith. So the bad news, every single one of us has sinned, has fallen short, was born with this sinfulness, this selfishness. The good news, all of us have been justified and offered freedom and life through Jesus Christ. Praise God. It, says the, it goes on, it talks about how the sin of Adam, the sin of one man, brought sin and death onto all of us. But in the same way, the righteousness and the death of Christ freed us and justified us. And so, so we are forgiven of our sins. Jesus took our sins on. Jesus, the only one to ever walk the face of the earth and not sin. And listen, churches believe a lot of things. Most churches believe that Jesus did not ever sin. And if you ever go to a church that says that Jesus sins, run away from it. Because it's a lie. Jesus took our sin. He who was without sin took our sin onto himself and went to the cross and died to pay the price for our sins. And so, so our sins were paid for on the cross and we, in return, received his righteousness. See, he was righteous. He was holy. And so he took our sin, paid the price, and in return, as if we did anything, we did nothing. This is grace. This is free grace. We receive the righteousness of Christ so that when God looks at us, God doesn't see fallen, sinful, needing to be punished people. God sees the righteousness of Christ in us. What a beautiful thing. That brings us to chapter 6. Go ahead and stand with me. Uh, verse 1 through 7 is not going to be on the screen, but verse 8 through 14 will. Um, but this is God's word, and so, so Paul's kind of led us to this place. At the end of chapter 5, he says, where sin has increased, grace has increased even more. So no matter how much you've sinned, if you've surrendered, God's grace covers you, and that brings us to chapter 6. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning 
so that grace may increase by no means. See, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live it in it any longer? Or do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have a new life. For if we are united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. So Paul is telling us here that if you have surrendered your life to Christ, if you've asked for repentance, and if you've committed yourself wholeheartedly, then you, are, you died to sin. He says that, that, that act of baptism, that's a picture for us. Going under the water is this picture of dying to sin and self. And we come out a picture of new life. Paul says, listen, if you have surrendered yourself completely, you have died to sin the same way that Christ died on the cross. And guess what? When you die to sin and self, you are raised to new life just as Christ was raised. So verse 8 now. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under the law. You're under the grace of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Have a seat. We're going to talk through this. Praise God. So two questions today. Can we be free of sin? That's a big question that people ask in the church today. Can we actually be free of sin? And the second one is, how, if we can, how can we be free of sin? So the, the scriptures tell us here, the first question, can we be free of sin? Let me just answer that one outright. I already have. Yes, you can be freed of depravity, of original sin. You can live a holy life. I'm going to take it a step further. Paul does. He says, not only can you, but you are called to it. It's God's plan for you. Jesus didn't go to the cross so that we would continue to live in brokenness and pain. He rose from the dead so that we could have new life and transformation and so we look at Romans. I, one, of the, one of the pastors that I like to listen to sermons of occasionally is John Piper. He, he is a different kind of denomination, has some different beliefs than we do, but I, I love listening to the way he teaches Scripture. And one of the things he said that I really loved as I was studying this week is that, listen, when we ask the question, can we be free of sin, the good news is this isn't something that we have to do a ton of work to achieve. He pointed out that this is chapter 6 
of Romans. There's already been five chapters talking about this topic, and we don't come into the picture until chapter 6. See, God has already done all the work that needs to be done to free us from sin. It's already taken care of. Jesus took our sin, died on the cross. Praise God, he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead, defeated sin and death. And so the scripture says, we who die to sin also are raised to new life in Christ. Yes, we can be free of sin. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Praise God. Yes, we can be free of sin. Verse 6 says, The old self is crucified when we surrender completely. Our sinful, selfish ways are crucified with Christ, and we are raised to new life. So yes, simple answer, yes, you can live free of sin. You are called to live free of sin. So the next question that we'll spend a little bit more time on is how? Verse 11 says, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Count yourselves Consider yourselves. Realize that you are dead to sin. Count, this is a simple thing. See, the work's already been done. And so Paul says, you don't have to climb the highest mountain. You don't have to figure out a puzzle. You just have to realize and count yourself dead to sin. See, there, there's a lie that we tend to believe, and that's that sin has some hold on us. Listen, Jesus Christ not only paid the price for our sins, but rose from the dead and defeated sin and death so that we don't have a hold over us from sin. We're delivered from it through his resurrection. We can count ourselves dead to sin. There's a book that we read as a staff. I really enjoyed it. It's called Winning the War for Your Mind by Craig Rochelle. He's one of the speakers at GLS. little plug there. Um, but Winning the War for Your Mind. And there's a story that I really loved in his book. He's a pastor of a pretty huge church. And so they have a bunch of staff. And he said their, their church likes to play pranks on each other. And so one day, one of his coworkers thought he was going to be slick. And so he hid in the closet in his office, in Craig Rochelle's office, and, and he realized that the guy had hid in his closet. And so when he went in, he pretended like he was locking the closet door. And he said, I know you're in there, and now you're stuck. And he left the office. Here's the crazy thing. It didn't even have a lock on the door. But his coworker stayed in the closet for hours because he believed that he was stuck in there. All he had to do was reach out and turn the handle and push the door, and he was free. But he was stuck in there because he believed that he was stuck in there. Listen, in the same way, we are free from the will to sin. The price has been paid. Sin has been defeated. We don't have to stay in that place anymore. The only way that sin is going to have power over us as if we let it, 
Count yourselves as dead to sin. Listen, we give sin way too much credit. We give Satan way too much credit. He's been defeated. We are called to holiness and righteousness. So count yourselves dead to sin. See, when we, uh, when we assume that we can't get past sin, that it's more powerful, we are discounting the resurrection of Christ. When we say that, that sin's just too powerful and we can't get past it, that's discounting the resurrection of Christ that defeated sin and death. We talked about last week, we're being created and transformed into his image. There can be no sin in his image. The plan for us is not to be continually sinning, but to be freed from sin and in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to Christ. The second thing it says, it says, therefore, because sin has no hold on you, the door isn't locked, it can't keep you, it doesn't have that power over you, it's been defeated, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. I, I love some of this language if you really look deep into it. What does it say? It says, therefore, because it has no hold on you, don't let it reign in your life. You see what's happening there? The only way sin is going to have power over you is if you let it, because it's been defeated. You've been, you've been transformed. You've been released from its power. The only way it has power is if you let it. And so don't let sin reign. Sometimes I think we feel like we can let sin in just a little bit. Maybe one of the lies we believe is that, is that sin, a little bit of sin isn't going to hurt us. Or a little bit here, as long as we're overall trying to do our best, a little bit over here is going to be okay. Listen, I, I want you to hear what it says. It says don't let sin, and then what's the next word? It says reign. The word reign there, do you know what that word it, it translates to? It's the idea of a king reigning over his kingdom, this control. See, here's the thing. Sin is not innocent. It doesn't, doesn't just want a little piece of you. Sin wants to take control of your life. And it has no power unless you let it. So don't let sin reign over your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Sin and holiness cannot coexist. Don't let it in. Don't let it take over your life. And, and listen, you guys know this. You guys know this. Because if you've ever struggled with bitterness, bitterness might start small, but bitterness can end up taking over your thoughts and your actions. Envy it might start thinking, hey, I wish I had what that person has, or I wish I was more like that person. And before long, your whole life is being consumed with envy. Pride, this idea that, that I'm number one, it might start small, but if you, if you let it, it's going to reign over you. It's going to take over, and it's going to control everything. Lust, if you let just a little bit in, 
It's not some innocent thing. It wants to take over and control you. Don't let sin, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Listen, I've got good news. Sin has no hold on you. You don't have to let it in. I I loved, I, I I read a devotional last week, and it was a pastor that was was writing the devotional, and he said, you know, he used to go and speak quite a bit, and he would stay in hotels, and he said one night in a hotel, something came on the TV, and, and it tempted him to do, uh, to think, to lust in a way that he shouldn't. And he said, I'm not going to let sin reign in my life. So he made a rule that from here on out, there was a two-second rule. Anything he saw, he had two seconds to get off of it and change to something else. Don't let sin in the door. Jesus has already defeated it. You're called to live in holiness and righteousness. Verse 13 says, don't offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. Listen, there, sometimes another lie that we believe is that there are some sins that are, are super serious and there are some that just aren't that bad. There are some things we can do that, you know, that probably can get brushed aside, but there's some things that, and, and listen, there are definitely some pretty egregious sins, but all sin, all sin is against holiness. And there is no small sin that doesn't pull you away from God's will and doesn't pull you away from holiness. And so it says, don't offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. See, I was thinking about this. Scripture tells us, it talks about money, the way we handle our money. You know that the way you handle your money is an, is, is an issue of holiness? You know that your appetite, what you eat, uh, this, is, this is tough. <laughs> your appetite is an issue of holiness. You know that your sexuality is an issue of holiness. You know that your thoughts, the things you think are an issue of holiness, your words. Scripture says a lot about, Scripture talks about money and how we handle our money all the time. Scripture tells us our body is a temple and that that we need to treat it as a temple. Uh, Scripture tells us that, that sexuality is a gift from God to be used for His glory, not for our purposes. Scripture tells us that our thoughts are are to be tuned to what's pure and right, not what's unrighteous. Scripture tells us that that our words, that our tongue can start forest fires. Don't offer any part of your body to wickedness, to sin. And it goes on to say, as an instrument of wickedness. That word instrument actually would be translated weapon of wickedness. See, see, when we choose to sin, even with a small part of our body, We are offering ourselves as weapons of wickedness. That's another thing that's a lie of the devil, is that when we sin, it only hurts us. No. When we let sin in, we offer ourselves as weapons of wickedness that do destruction, not just in our lives, but in the lives of the people around us. Don't let sin in. But rather, here's the good part. So the first part is this. Sin's already defeated. Jesus defeated it in the empty tomb. 
You don't have to live in sin anymore, so don't even let it in the door. Don't offer any part of yourself to sinfulness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as instruments of righteousness. Yes, you can live sin-free. Yes, you can be holy. How do we do that? We live completely surrendered to God. I asked you earlier, what are you living for? Hopefully it's not fourth grade tackle football. (laughs) Hopefully it's not a bank account. Because if you're living for your bank account, you're going to be led to do some things that are destructive. Hopefully it's not for pride and for arrogance, because if you live for that, you're going to hurt people to get there. You're going to sin. What are you offering your life to? What are you living for? Paul tells us, God's word tells us, we don't have to live for sin and death. We're freed. We offer ourselves to Christ. What are you living for? The worship team's going to come up. And, and I want us to move to a time of response. And listen, I, I know that there may be some people in here that you've been saved you, you've prayed that prayer of repentance and you're forgiven for your sins, but maybe there's still a part of you, maybe there's still some of that sinfulness that was, you were born with. And maybe you've had this struggle over and over again that you don't feel like you can get past it. Today, I want to invite you to surrender. Yes? I have a testimony. I'd like to hear your testimony. Let me, you want to take that one? So one day I was leaving work and I lit up a cigarette and coming up the road and this car kept driving to me and it stopped and a sister from Blue Ash Nazarene Church, she said, George Ann, you know you shouldn't do that. So that really put me under conviction and I went home and Buddy, I had a terrible time trying to give up my cigarettes. So one day a Nazarene evangelist came to Blue Ash Nazarene Church, and he said, if anybody has something that they're wrestling with in their life, come come up front and we'll pray for you. Well, I didn't go up, but when he started to leave, I walked towards him and I I said, Pastor, I've got a bad cigarette habit. And I said, I know that my lungs are, it's affecting them. And uh, I said, I want to quit, but I can't, can't do it. And I said, I got the cigarettes in the hall closet and uh, try to make myself quit. And uh, he said, you go up there to the altar and you tell Jesus that you give your permission for him to take that cigarette habit away from you. Well, I did that. But you know, Pastor, I had to do my part. Jesus did his part. And uh, I went home and 
I tried to, you know, not smoke, and and I really wrestled with it. Michael said, Mom, you're the meanest person in the world. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I, I tried, and I tried, and I tried hard. And you know the Lord, he really took that away from me. I don't know how long it was. I went to work, and people all around me smoked, and they blowed it all over me. And I never, I never had the habit again of even wanting a cigarette. And that's true. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you, George Ann. Hey, listen, if there's anything, I mean, it, it, it could be smoking, it could be something in your mind, it could be bitterness, it could be envy. Go ahead, stand with me. And I want you to respond in just the same way that, that George Ann committed that day to come up and pray about it. Listen, I want to invite you to surrender today. Listen, sin and death have been defeated. Jesus took care of that on the cross in the empty tomb. And you don't have to live a slave to sin anymore. I don't care what it is you struggle with. You don't have to live in that anymore but you've got to surrender it. Maybe there's some people in here today that have something that they need to surrender. Listen, these altars are open just as they were for you. They're open for all of us. If you want to come and you want to just lay something down, bring it. Maybe, maybe, you're, maybe you're living and, and you're trying to honor God. Maybe today you just need to come and you need to once again let, kneel at his feet and offer yourself completely to his purposes. You don't have to be a slave to sin anymore. You can live free through the grace of Christ Jesus. I'm gonna pray, and then I wanna invite you to respond. You can come pray, you can kneel where you are, you can sit, you can, whatever it is, don't watch other people. Surrender your heart completely trust in him. Father, pray that you'd work on our hearts. Continue to make us more like you. And if there's anything we need to give to you, Lord, if there's anything that needs surrendered today, help us to be obedient and lay it before you. We respond to your word today. We love you, Lord. We thank you for the work you did on the cross, and we thank you for the empty tomb that tells us that we're not slaves to sin anymore. And I pray that you would free us today and I pray that you would help us to live in your fullness today. We give you everything. Help us to respond to you now in Jesus' name. Amen.